0: My name is Carrie Seaburn, professional engineer, and this is Unstruct. Unstruct is the podcast where we share the stories from within your walls to help you understand how they stand today. Hello, and welcome back to Unstruct. In this episode, I sit down with Alejandro Fernandez, and we talk about the Ascent Tower in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So Alejandro is a senior associate with Thornton Tomasetti in Chicago, Illinois. He is a structural engineer, but also has his master's in architecture. He grew up in Madrid, Spain, and is now located in the Chicago area. And the project that we're talking about is 25 stories tall, which equates to 284 feet, and is currently the tallest mass timber structure in the world so as you can imagine with anything being the tallest or the biggest kind of requires uncharted territory so we talk about some of these things one being fire rating for a wood structure the columns had to be fire rated for three hours so they actually had to have an independent testing agency test the columns to ensure that they were able to withstand that three-hour fire code rating. Also, there's some code stipulations as far as maximum heights for wood structures. So this was beyond that code stipulation. So there were special requirements that they had to take into account for that as well. So it's really unique. The project is unique and also very beautiful. I find it very interesting that Alejandro is a trained architect and structural engineer because given the nature of this mass timber building it is an exposed structure so lots of the structure is visible which you know then becomes architecture so it's kind of cool that the structure actually becomes the architecture of the building as well so very interesting lots of other Things as far as procurement. So this building was constructed during COVID and the material for the mass timber was actually produced in Austria. So I think we all know how challenging it was to get things delivered to us during this time so when you extrapolate that to a 25 story building and getting material shipped in from Austria I think it's pretty easy to see that there would be some complexities with that so very fascinating a very beautiful building located in Milwaukee so with that I will hand it on over to Alejandro and we will talk about the Ascent Tower. Alejandro, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for
1: having me. Excited to be here and excited to be talking about this building with your listeners.
0: Awesome. So, this is going to be super fascinating because, like I said, it's the tallest mass timber building in the world. With that, I can only imagine, comes a lot of blazing new trails and out into kind of unventured territory. So I can't wait to dig into that. But let's start at the beginning. When were you contacted about this project?
1: So the owner had had the the property for a number of years. It was actually their third tried at the property. And what happened was at the time, this is like back in 2017, more or less. And we were doing another high rise building here in Chicago. When the renders for that other building got published, the owner and the architect, they contact us and they said, hey, that looks really, really cool. Could we do that here in Milwaukee? So that actually happened during the concept phase of the project. So we got contacted very early on in the project.
0: Okay. So this building is 25 stories tall, 284 feet tall. Was that the original concept of the building?
1: No. We we started with 18 stories. And then what happened was, it was pretty interesting, it was in order to make the perform work, the owner kept adding floors until we reached the 25 floors and finally the, the whole budget balanced itself. But um, for a few weeks or months, every couple of weeks, we were adding one or two more floors to the, to the project.
0: <laughs> okay, so when it was initially 18 stories, did you feel like you were already pushing the envelope as far as mass timber construction at 18 stories?
1: Absolutely, there was <laughs> there was only like one one present here in North America, which was the Brock Commons that uh, was actually eighteen stories tall. It's in British Columbia, Vancouver, but it was it was a fairly different building because they conceal in gypsum all the timber members. Okay. So for our building, we actually needed to the the owner wanted us to expose all the members, so we're definitely. Pushing the boundaries with this building.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that come up with that, and we will dig into that maybe when we get into the gravity six system. But when it's exposed, you're balancing the strength and the kind of aesthetics of it all at the same time, trying to come up with something that works for both. I can only imagine. I can't wait to dig into it.
1: <laughs> yes, it creates very unique buildings. Like it has this unique effect when you walk into one of these mass timber buildings. What you see very frequently, the first thing people do is they go and go touch the columns on the beams. It makes them want to fill the building, which is something that typically doesn't happen with conventional buildings. It's, in a way, it's bringing all that natural environment that we tend to leave away once we walk into our cities and bringing it down to, to your own apartment
0: yeah and that's such a great feature from a sustainability standpoint too, because there's not all the extra material to fur out and create finished walls and ceilings and everything
1: absolutely, and that's something that it's well, that's one of the drivers that we're seeing in the in the industry right now like we we're getting a lot of requests for mass timber buildings, a lot of it comes from institutions that are very worried about sustainability, the low embodied carbon of mass timber is one of the of the great points. So it's something that uh, right now we're starting for a lot of our, our new projects in the office.
0: Okay, so let's dig into the Ascent Tower a little bit. What is the gravity system of this? So if we can talk kind of what those gravity systems and elements are. So
1: the tower is 25 stories, as you mentioned earlier, and the bottom six, it's a concrete podium. So it's just uh, traditional concrete columns with PT slabs. then at the top of the podium there is a transfer system like some 16 deep pt beams and then on top of that we have the the mast inverse system which is made out of uh, glulam columns and with glulam beams and then cross laminated floors so the columns they they range somewhere between 30 inches by 30 inches at the base uh, all the way down to 18 by 18 at the top. And then the beams, we try to keep them 16-inch wide maximum, and then between 20 to 25, some of them are 30 inches deep. The timber actually comes from, comes from Austria. Procurement of this project was one of the complicated parts of it. If you think about it, the amount of timber that we needed for the project was so massive. That uh, at the time it was very hard for American manufacturers to be able to create all that all that volume. Now we think about mass timber as something that is fairly innovative, and it is. But especially here in the in the US and North America, it's been here for a few years only. Versus when you go to Europe, their capabilities they, they've been doing it for the last 20 years, so their manufacturing capacities are much bigger. So. For our project, if we had had to manufacture it here in the U.S., it would have probably taken one of the manufacturers a full year, which would have been a big risk for them, right? When we procured it from Europe, actually came from Austria, then because their volume is much bigger, they were able to include this in the production line much easier.
0: Okay, so did you have to contact the production company? Did you have to contact them early on, like in almost like the schematic level of design, because I can imagine that has a significant impact on the construction schedule. Mm
1: -hmm. So this is, this is a a very good point. When we first started the building, just to give you an idea, the tallest most building in the United States was seven stories tall. And at that point, this building was using a system called nail laminated timber, where you get two by six, two by eight, put them on the side and then nail them to each other. So when we first started designing the project, we thought one of the ways you could like reduce the cost of the project was by using this nail laminated timber system. Now what we realized very quickly was that the amount of volume that was gonna be required to be produced, it was just impossible for carpenters to handle that. So then we would try DLT, which is double laminated timber. It's very similar to nail laminated timber, but you replace the nails by doubles. And then finally, we came up with cross laminated timber. And then when we were there, one of the, of the big partners for, for the project, so the owner is the New Enterprises, the architect is Corban Associates. I am from Toronto Massetti, which is the construction engineer of record. The construction company was Sidia Smith and the other big player was TimberLab. TimberLab was hired by the owner to procure the timber for the project, and the good thing is they had a lot of experience, they had a lot of contacts in the market, so they were able to actually reach out to all the manufacturers across North America and across Europe, and create a competitive bid for the project. So that way we were able to get the best price for our project without as specifically having to reach out to every single manufacturer.
0: Sure, so Timber Lab was like your agent, like your lumber agent. Yeah,
1: yes. and they did a terrific job because it was a very hard moment to procure the timber. If you think about it, when we were starting the project, it was the beginning of, of COVID, and then we had like the, the, the we had like the issue with the, the Suez Canal, right, where it got blocked, and then all the shipping container uh, market got completely messed up. And then we started having like the shortages in labor, so the ports were completely collapsed. And Timberlab did an amazing job procuring the the timber and coordinating all the all the delivery to the site to make sure that the project was able to be done in in time.
0: That's crazy, cause yeah, during that time shortage of so many things in our whole manufacturing system. So yeah, that is very amazing that they were able to procure it. The next question that I have regarding the material is the fact that it was built or put together pre-manufactured in Austria. How did that affect the type, the species and grade of lumber that was used?
1: So because we were procuring from Austria, we use Austrian spruce. Okay, so all, all the timber for the building is Austrian spruce, which is it's an important point for, for a number of reasons. Here in the state we were designing, probably in the Midwest, Douglas fir is pretty typical. If you go more towards the south, you probably see more southern yellow pine. If you procure from Canada, you may get like black spruce. So all these species they look a little bit different. So from an aesthetic point of view, it's different, but also from a structural point of view, their their capacity is different, right? So that meant that this building, it was actually redesigned a number of times as we kept like changing from system to system and trying to find the one, the the most economical one. And one of the redesigns that we had to do in addition to going from NLT to CLT was going from American species to European species. And one thing to know with that is because the codes are different and the standards are different, that translation is not completely direct so there is a number of engineering and and the communication we had to do with the with the suppliers to make sure that we were both talking the same language and we were not getting caught up with with the differences in the codes and the standards
0: yeah that's so fascinating because the international building code that's fairly universal some countries have their own stipulations to that but in the IBC, there's also the wood section, I think it's chapter 23. And in that, it references, for us, it references the NDS, which is more of a US based code council for timber design. Whereas Austria is probably something different, right? It's
1: called the Eurocode. Okay. In Europe, they have like the, the whole Eurocode. So you from 1 to 8, and then Eurocode 5 in this case it's the the timber one. So what we did for this building is we actually ran studies both with MDS, the national design specification, and we ran a studies with Eurocode to make sure that those assumptions and capacities that we were doing it was, was equivalent and we were coming with a safe and equivalent design for for both buildings. The other good thing of doing that that experience and having like the knowledge of, of Eurocode five is the same way we were talking earlier that they've been doing it for longer and the manufacturing capacity is uh, a little bit more advanced. The code has also embraced more of this mass timber technology faster. So it's actually a very good reference in areas where NDAs, they are still trying to catch up and they may not have like uh, adopted the specific provisions for some things. It's always a great reference to look into both Eurocode and our Canadian neighbors they also have a lot of information in their codes that are very useful to when we're pushing the limits with a design, as is the case of Ascent.
0: Okay, that's very fascinating. And as you're talking, I'm also wondering about when we're doing just a conventionally wood-framed building, a lot of the material that we're using, the values as structural engineers that we are able to use are usually based on visually graded lumber. When you're using this material and trying to push the limits of cross-laminated timber of glue glulam construction like in Austria, were they able to come up with tighter testing, I guess, or like machine-rated lumber to get higher values? Or was that something that ever came up?
1: Not in the direction of a visually or mechanically graded, but we did have to use one of the highest capacities in Europe. They It's called GL32H, and those members they are a little bit more harder to get. You do pay a little premium, but because what happens with wood is like, you need more volume. The capacity of wood is obviously not as strong as with the steel or concrete. So your members, once we start like attacking so many floors, the members got pretty big at the base. So in order to limit the size of these members that don't have like huge columns at the bottom of the building, we did use this higher grade. For the both for the columns and for some of the some of the beams, actually like some of our columns, they are especially when we're like next to the balconies, we have like some columns that are like almost forty a little bit over 40 inches long because we're limited to 16 on the other side, on the other direction. So these columns, we really wanted to maximize the capacity of our materials so we could like really squeeze them as much as possible.
0: Okay, okay. So, yeah, you, you had to use the higher grade stuff at the lower levels. So, with these columns, is the cross section the same all the way through, or are you using varied material grades throughout the cross section?
1: The cross section of the columns is, is the same at each level. So, you, you do get the same grade. It's um, homogeneous, so, you get the same grade through for each of the levels. We do change levels, like the same way with concrete, when you go from like a higher concrete at the base and then you use a lower concrete at upper levels, we do the same thing at the upper levels of the tower. The reason is because one thing that people don't realize when they start designing with mass timber is connections are super important because wood doesn't have as much capacity as concrete or steel. Many times your sizes are defined by the connections. So we do need some minimum sizes at the top of the building, and those minimum sizes, you don't really need as much capacity, but you do need the the space and the geometry. So we are able to reduce the grade as we go up in the building
0: gotcha so maybe at a lesser grade but the actual cross section size remains the same cuz the connections are what's dictating the cross sectional size
1: we did reduce them to from 30 at the base to about like 18 16 inches at the at the top of the building but we did keep that minimum size due to the connections
0: all right. So for the floor system with the CLT or the cross-laminated timber, how long was that able to span? Or what was the column-to-column spacing?
1: So there is two plans in this case, right? One is going to be the, the CLT. And CLT, we typically measure it in terms of the number of number of uh, layers, which we call plies. So an official CLT for residential design, especially if are trying to meet two-hour fire rating, you're probably going to be around the seven inches, a five-ply seven-inch CLT panel, and those can span about 20 feet. So you try to maximize that. In the case of a we our CLT is spanning somewhere between 16 foot and a half to 20 feet. Then in the other direction, you have your glulam beams. And these glulam beams, you're going to span pretty much whatever you want, but you're going to have approximately, you're going to add approximately one inch per every foot that you end up spanning. So in our case, our glulam beams span between 20 to 25, and then we had like some a couple that were like 30 feet, but 20 to 25 feet, that was a typical span.
0: Fascinating. So that was pretty much the floor system then, right? Seven inches is pretty much the thickness of the floor?
1: Yeah, so you have your 20 to 25-inch glulam beam, you have your 7-inch CLT panel, and then on top of that, you typically find an acoustic mat that uh, provides acoustic performance and then deep topping. So it can be concrete or deep grid. In this case, we use we just deep grid and we end up having a two inch and a half deep grid topping. So this deep grid is gonna protect the top of the CLT panel from fire, but it's also gonna help us with the sound control and it's going to help us with the vibration control because wood, it has many advantages, but it's a, a lighter material. So in terms of vibration and sound control, it's something that needs to be looked very carefully.
0: Very fascinating. Yeah, so it helps out with sound. It helps out with vibrations, but it makes those columns work a little bit harder because it's a little heavier too.
1: <laughs> it, it is. That's why we use also, sometimes we use deep creep. It's a balance between your sun mud on your topping. And then different projects look for different, different standards. We are seeing, I think, as the industry keeps moving, we're seeing these toppings getting a little bit thicker, like the building's trying to get, like, a better acoustic performance. And uh, the same way we see it here in, like, typical residential construction, we're seeing, like, the demising lines and all those areas where acoustics is getting better. The same way in timber, we're also seeing a little bit thicker toppings to get a better acoustic performance.
0: Sure, super fascinating. Okay, Alejandro, here's another question for you. You kind of brought this up a little bit in the, our last little discussion here, but fire rating. So, you know, we were just talking about the Jibcrete and how that helps, but on the underside, it's exposed CLT panel, and the columns and lands are also exposed. So how did you guys address that from a fire standpoint?
1: So wood is actually an amazing material in the sense that it's self protects itself, that's the reason why that when you go to a forest and there has been a fire, you may see like all the leaves have burned, but you still feel the trees is standing, and then you come back after a few couple years and the tree has restarted again, right? Because with the fire, the wood creates this char on the exterior, but within a few eighths of an inch inside of of this char. The wood maintains its structural capacity and it's actually cooler. So that's basically what we do. Now, what happens is the longer the fire is, this charge is going to get like, uh, the charge is going to co- continue progressing towards the inside of the member. But that's something that is very well known, it's very well codified. So NDS has, they give you values up to two hours. So you can basically just design your members. So you, you do a regular design with your normal loads. And then you do a second design where you consider the member reduce with the, the you have lost your your char your sacrificial char layer, but then what happens is the code allows you to increase the capacity your your capacity you basically reduce the safety factor because it's a an extreme event, so with timber we always have to run two two analyses now for a cent because we were really pushing the envelope, our columns actually had to be. Rated for three hours, and this is not covered by NDS. So what we had to do is we partner with the uh, Wood Forest Product Laboratory in Madison, Wisconsin, and they perform fire tests on glue columns for, for the specific for the project. Now we did test three different species: one European, which was the ocean spruce that we use, and then two American. And the good thing is like the results of these tests are not public. So for any other project, and it's a three-hour column rating, you can now go to your city and show the results of this test and present it as a, as a proof of evidence. And now the results of the test was interesting because what they showed was that if you extrapolate the chart rates in NDS, you actually get a conservative result. So uh, that, was, that was a very important point.
0: Yeah, and I think that's super important to say, too. You know, a lot of times for a lot of buildings, if it's stuff that's been done before, as the architect or the architect and sometimes the structural engineer can pick out kind of a fire rating assembly based on what's done in the past. So the fact that this needed the three-hour columns that had never been done in the past, so you had to actually do the testing for it or the owner had to hire a testing agency to do the testing for them. But I love the point that you said too, now that is public knowledge. So you guys have created this new pathway and made those results public so that other people can do similar things. And I think that's very commendable and very cool.
1: Yeah, I think mass timber is becoming a pretty exciting industry because it's fairly new, especially here in the States. We are all trying to innovate. Um, there is a lot of sharing within the industry. So there is um, a number of, of conferences where engineers meet every year, um, but there is a lot of knowledge sharing across the industry. Um, we're all trying to follow what everyone else is doing because it's, it's an industry that is evolving very quickly. Um, even like the, the systems that we were using a few years ago, now as we keep trying to push the material and the capacities and, and what, the, what we can do with the material, new systems keep evolving. So we're seeing a lot of of knowledge sharing in the industry.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. So with wood construction, I know, you know, when you're compressing it, when it's under compression, there's this thing called column shortening, where it reduces that overall height by a certain bit. So the structure is 284 feet tall, and the base levels are concrete, but I'd imagine you still have not that the column is continuous, but you have timber that is stacked on top of each other for probably 200 feet, right? Vertical feet?
1: Yes, yes, that's correct. So what happens here is they're completely right, that it it compresses and both is gonna like shrink short term due to the, the loads, the immediate loads, right? Like you're stacking a lot of levels above, but then the other thing that you're gonna have is it's gonna creep as well. And then it's gonna it's gonna change a little bit dimensionally during the during the year, though it's fairly stable in the direction of the fiber, so that's that's not a major concern. For a 25-story timber building, it moves as much as a uh, 65-concrete building would move. So we had to do studies on the columns to make sure that we were accounting for these movements and we were considering the loads. So we created a system with uh, shim where we were able to adjust during construction. The height of the columns, similar to what we would do with a concrete building, when you're like receiving surveys from the construction team, and then we're adjusting the, the height of the columns. So in this case, for every floor, we got like the top of the column uh, at each specific column, and then we reviewed internally, and then we send them what was the target elevation. So what we did, because we knew this during, construct, during the design, it was going to be something that we had to pay attention, we created a system of shims so we could adjust on the field the, the height of each of the columns. The other thing that happens is because timber is going to move significantly, but concrete won't, is that interface between one material and the other that is the trickiest part. and That's where we spend a lot of time and a lot of detail in trying to figure out who we're going to deal with that interface and we end up creating like a little gap around the cores to make sure that we were able to to manage that movement between both structures.
0: Okay, that's a great point, I think, because the concrete is at the lower levels, but I believe the lateral system of this is concrete cores that go full height vertical, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. Like the concrete, and we're probably a few years away from seeing something of this height built completely with like, especially with CLT cores, we have seen like some higher buildings than with diagonals. I'm thinking right now about the trade in Norway, there's like a bunch of buildings that have done like brace uh, systems. But for us, it was part of the negotiation with the city. Right, like so we were, we knew we were breaking ground here and we we're trying to achieve something that hadn't been uh, done before. So very early on, when we met with the city and the city was actually very supportive, they they really believe in the project, they, they help us all the process. But one of the things we discussed with them was let's make the lateral system concrete. We don't need to push everything. Let's keep it in concrete. It's a well-known system. It also allows for uh, well-known means of egress, but also of access, because one thing that happens is with these timber buildings, they burn more frequently during construction. That's actually the, the most dangerous moment of the, on the life of the building is before all your fire protection systems are activated, How do you make sure that the building is safe, that the fire department can access the building? So one of the things we did for this building is we had the fire department had access from three sides. We had a dual water supply. And then we also had inside of each of the cars, we had a dry pipe. So if there was any fire during construction, the fire department could just like plug and get water to any of the levels under construction. The other thing we did related to fire and the fire department was well we met with the fire department very early on but we also banned welding on the side on top of the timber because that's something that we know there's been like some experiences in the past where you won't see the wood catching fire and it it takes a little bit for it to actually like catch fire and that can happen after everyone has left and there's been like some some fires in the past where that was that was an issue
0: where it was the welds that smoldered for a while and wasn't really noticeable until everyone left.
1: Correct. And then by the time they came back, the whole building was on fire. So that was part of our our discussion with the team was they don't have welding on top of the wood.
0: Yeah. Even a concrete constructed building, you have weld plates and everything. And, you know, you have embed plates and, and steel, same thing. So was it difficult to find a skilled... Workforce to do the construction since it was so new and so different than a typical high-rise
1: You're getting a very very interesting point because you're right. it's a very new technology But it's also without removing made from from the workforce that did it But it's a fairly simple construction in the sense that a lot of it comes prefabricated and then there's a lot of screws uh, that had to be installed inside, but it's a fairly simple connection that doesn't really require a lot of experience construction. Actually like the construction company that did it, they had some minor uh, construction experience with, uh, with mass timber, but uh, it wasn't really very extensive. So they they had some help from TimberLab at the beginning where they, they trained the, the workforce, and then after that they were able to do it by themselves. One interesting thing is because this is new, and we see in a lot of our cities, we have the unions, right? There was a, a negotiation at the beginning of the project that we're also seeing other cities where we're trying to figure out who is going to build this. So in the case of Ascend, it was a, a composite crew of five carpenters, five iron workers, and then they have two laborers. So it's only 12 people, which build in one floor per week.
0: Oh my gosh, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's about like one third probably of the of the crew that you will need for a, for a concrete site. So it's a very clean site, very quiet, because there is no, everything is coming prefabricated, right? So they're just like placing, placing the pieces from what we were told, the workers actually like it a lot. Because it's, it's very clean. They don't have to be carrying like rebar. They don't get dirty with, with the concrete. There's, there's the story of this, this worker that he said that he was getting in trouble with his wife because the wife at some point talking like, where, where are you actually coming from? Like, you're not going to work anymore. You're coming back every day super clean. So, <laughs> so no, I think, I think they, from what we hear, they, they really like it and they, they were looking forward to do another Mastinberg job.
0: Okay, so that also brings up another point. So everything was prefabricated in Austria. But to me, it seems like, I guess if I were one of the tradespeople working, like I'd be a little nervous that I was going to cut at the wrong spot because if you do that, there's kind of a point of no return, right? Like, you can't just whip something up on site. It has to come all the way from Austria, right?
1: You have said the ban war. During construction, <laughs> cutting of timber was completely banned. <laughs> With a special written approval of the, of the design team. Now that was, that was one, a very important part because it's one of the advantages but it's also one of the dangers, right? Like these, these pieces, they're, they're fairly easy to cut. So there needs to be any field modification which actually had to happen, especially at the interfaces with concrete because timber becomes very, it's very precise. It's actually like a matter of millimeters but once you go to concrete, you have your typical construction tolerances, one inch, inch and a half. If you get that unlucky, you can get even more. So it's, it's a that interface where you do need to provide some flexibility, and some of the pieces had to be cut. But we did request them to run every single piece by us, and we had to approve it in writing before they were able to cut. In addition to this, we did a mock-up before starting construction, so the, the crew understood how the pieces were connected. They were able to understand what was easy or what wasn't easy. And then there were a few pieces, extra pieces, on on site just in case something went, went wrong and had to be used. But as far as I know, I don't think they, they end up having to use those ones.
0: That's great. Well, and then that also means that there's less waste on site, right? Because every piece is important.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. There's way less, less waste. And then... You know the other thing that happens is one of the ways of making so with with mass timber, you're typically going to pay a little premium on the material itself. It's it's not as as a, as cheap as, as concrete, especially here in the in the Midwest. But one of the things that it brings is it's a pretty fast construction, not only on the erection that, as I mentioned earlier, we're doing a like one floor per week, but also like your trades can follow up much faster because you don't really have to like keep everything sure and, and all that. So, but in order to maximize this construction speed, you need to do a lot of work ahead and a lot of it was coordination with all the MEP trades. We spent like about 80 meetings, yes, coordinating every single penetration, every single hole both through the slabs and the beams. which was great because that gave the owner actually a lot of stability on the price. There wasn't so many change orders, when new where things were going to be. And then there were a few, very minor, but there were a few instances where the penetration wasn't at the right location. And the good thing is, like, we, of course, had to review it, but it's fairly easy to fix. So like you can just drill a new hole, and uh, as far as we review it, and it's not a good location, it's fairly easy to fix.
0: Okay. Yeah, super fascinating. The whole mechanical, electrical, and plumbing side of things, too. That's a lot of coordination needed to happen. That's very fascinating. So what would you say is the most fascinating thing about this project?
1: I think the most fascinating thing is probably the fact that it got built. (laughs) (laughs) It, It was a big adventure, especially from the beginning when we were talking. I mean, the jump was so big, going from seven stories to eighteen at the time and then we end up at twenty five. That was really fascinating. And it took a developer that really believed in what he was gonna what he wanted to get. They wanted to use Timber as a differentiator in the market. They wanted to create a product that was completely unique and they had the courage to put it through. But it also took a very committed team, right? Like the, the architect, Covenant Associates, they did a terrific job believing on the idea and kept like redesigning structural engineering, but also the, the construction company that made it possible, uh, C.D. Smith, uh, Timber Lab, procuring the timber. So at the end, it's, it's that team effort that when, when it works well, it makes really amazing things like this building happen.
0: Yeah, and I would encourage any listener to jump online and just search Ascent Tower. It'll be in our social media posts to a picture of it. But it is a very beautiful building for sure. And that's all exposed structure. So, you know, as structural engineers, we always love to see beauty and structure combined and being visible. So very beautiful. Um, Okay, Alejandro, what would you say is the theme song of the Ascent?
1: (laughs) That's a tricky question, but you know, a lot of the design of this of this project happened during COVID, where we were still like locked in our in our houses and working by by ourselves. And for me, that was a moment where I fell in love with Hamilton soundtrack. So for me, a sign is is related to all the uh, all the Hamilton soundtrack. <laughs>
0: pretty upbeat too right i like fast paced or whatever so you probably yeah. needed that to like <laughs> stay engaged at home <laughs> that's awesome i hope that you're able to go up to the rooftop now that it is topped out and maybe crank a little hamilton
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope so one day actually like the the rooftop is one of the most beautiful places of the building it has like a, the columns are much much higher it's a double story space and that's where you really see the mass timber for a very long extent, and it's a very unique place. They they also use these space to put all their amenities, and because we're talking about a high luxury amenity space, they have like their own bar. They have like a they call simulator. They even have like an art like an in-house artist that is like they're painting all the time, and then they have like these exterior amenity spaces which have a, a terrific view of the lake of. All the downtown Milwaukee, so it's it's a very amazing space to be at
0: yeah, that sounds amazing, yeah, an in-house artist, a bar, views of Lake Michigan <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs>
1: It's hard to make it uh, to make it more compelling. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. That makes for some great promo material too, to <laughs> lure in tenants, I would guess. So, well,
1: you know, one one of the things that the owners were saying when they talk about the, about the building is they are actually able to cut a lot in marketing because this building is self promoting itself, and this is something that is happening a lot with with our Mustangburg buildings. The other thing that happens is because they are able to create this completely unique, unique experience. Their rental prices are higher than the average in Milwaukee, so that's been also a great story. And they were able to rent about 50% of the building. I think it was a little bit less than 50, but even before the building was finished, so they pre-leased wow. like I think it was like 45% of the building. So from a marketing an economic point of view like all uh, of the, of the life of the building that has worked very well
0: that's amazing that's awesome well last question i have for you how do you recharge when you're not doing architecture or structural engineering or both of them at the same time
1: <laughs> <laughs> i like to disconnect and, and try to go outside into nature i love sailing i love skiing and having those moments where all you have is the the wind blowing against your face and you really can forget about everything else and be in true contact with nature. It's, it helps me a lot, which in a way, it's a little bit of what timber does for us, right? It brings this natural environment into our houses. Um, so in that sense, I don't disconnect so much, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I feel like it's a different approach, though, right? Like one is implementation, and one is just experiencing it in its truest. Most simplest form.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> That's
0: amazing. Well, Alejandro, thank you so much for being here today. This has been so informative, and I really loved learning more about the Ascent Tower. I might have to make a venture up to visit it someday too. But yeah, it's a beautiful building. Great work. Way to kind of push the limits in a very large way on mass timber construction. And thanks for all you're doing.
1: Thank you for having me here. My pleasure
0: thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode of Unstruct and know someone else who would please share it with them and if you enjoy the work that i'm doing here in general i would really appreciate your rating and review on apple podcast it goes a long way to help others find the show speaking of finding shows Unstruct is part of the gable media network a place where you can find even more content like this To see the catalog of shows focused on our built environment, visit GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-Media.com. Lastly, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe before you go so that you don't miss the next story from Within the Walls and how they stand today.